Let us pray. Father, truly in you we find our hope. And you do give us rest and stillness for our souls, even in tumultuous times. So now, Father, speak to us and strengthen us, renew us and shape us by your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're standing at home, you may be seated. Happy Independence Day weekend to all of you. Summer is certainly upon us. I think when I looked at the thermometer at my house last night about 9 o'clock, it was still 80 degrees and incredibly muggy. And so um, reminds me of spending vacation summers in Mississippi as a kid, uh, visiting my dad's aunt and uncle when it was just sweltering hot even in the middle of the night. The big difference for us is we have air conditioning, and my aunt and uncle did not have air conditioning in the bedrooms in their house in Mississippi. So I have fond memories of those days, but then not so fond memories of the nights, laying in bed just sweltering. And I'm sure with the seat, some of you can relate to that. I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices. We're looking at our gospel reading from St. Matthew's Gospel this morning, and we're focusing especially on verses 28 through 30. So we begin, I want to start with a little bit of background. We need to understand the setting or the context of what is happening here. In Matthew 11, immediately preceding these verses, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders and their supporters who were being highly critical of both Jesus and of John the Baptist. These religious leaders were placing burdens on the people that actually pushed them away from God. They were never satisfied. They were always finding faults. And in this context, Jesus says, states these words of Matthew 28, Matthew 11, excuse me, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What does it mean when Jesus calls us to come to him? What does it mean for us to take up his yoke? The fact is that we should love the yoke of Christ if he indeed is at work in our lives and if we know that we are his, that we belong to him. If we're growing in our love and our passion for Jesus. And out of that, I have three points I want to look at today. First is this, growing in passion or love for Jesus, answering his call in verse 28. Growing in passion or love for Jesus, obeying his command in verse 29. And then living in his promise in verse 30. Jesus calls him, excuse me, Jesus calls us to himself. He calls us to a real and living relationship. And out of this real and living relationship is where answering the call of Jesus Christ on our lives begins. The call of Christ to every single one of us is stated in the most simple and most explicit terms possible in verse 28 where he says, come to me. That is where it begins. Come to Jesus. Not come to a human system of beliefs. Not come to some system of do's and don'ts. 
not come to one particular church or denomination, but come to me. Come to Jesus. And then the question is, who? Who does Jesus call to himself? We find that answer as well in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. The idea of weary here is those who toil under a heavy burden or a heavy load. Who, those who suffer under the kind, or excuse me, who are those who suffer under this kind of load of continuing toil? Well, first and most simply, it is everyone who has not come to a genuine place of faith in Jesus Christ. And what is the specific burden that people bear outside of a living relationship with Christ? Well, they bear the burden of the cares of life, but especially, especially the weight of unforgiven sin and the resulting sense of futility and hopelessness that is their reality in living apart from Christ. And this is true regardless of whether or not this person is willing to acknowledge his or her need for Christ as Savior or not. People are often unaware of the magnitude of the burden they are carrying. It's kind of like a person with, with their sin and their, their life outside of Christ where that just gradually builds up and builds up and builds up over time. And it's kind of like a person who doesn't realize they need glasses until they can't see anything. And when they put those new glasses on, they're amazed at what they can see. They're amazed at the perception and the detail of what they, had, they can see now that they hadn't been able to see in the past. And they weren't aware of it because that deterioration in their eyesight had built up or progressed bit by bit. Or I've often talked with people who were having heart issues and perhaps they were having chest pain and they had cardiac stents placed. And not only did they get immediate relief from the pain, but so often folks have said to me when they had a stent placed, what they didn't realize is how much their energy level had deteriorated over months or perhaps even years before that stent was placed because the blockage in that artery had built up built bit by bit. The calcification had built up bit by bit, step by step, very gradually over time, and they didn't realize how much their energy level had deteriorated and been depleted. That's what happens with folks living under the burden of sin. They have no concept sometimes of the weight of the burden they are carrying because it continues to build incrementally bit by bit over time. And this burden is especially heavy for those who try to somehow earn their relationship with God through their own works. This was true of most of the people in the immediate situation Jesus is addressing earlier in Matthew chapter 11. Because he's speaking to the religious leaders who had taken God's law of the Old Testament and they had made it a burden not only for themselves, but for those who sat under their teaching, both by their interpretation of the law and by their adding to it. As we say that, it's important for us to remember again that nobody was ever saved, even in the Old Testament, by keeping the law. Jesus came and brought clarification and restored right understanding of the law so that for the Old Testament believer, under the Old Testament system, the law was not intended to be overly burdensome, but it was a way for them out of a living, 
grace relationship with God, as we read about with Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, out of the law, it gave these Old Testament believers who lived by faith in the one true God a way to express their love, their obedience, their thanksgiving, and their repentance for sin with faith in the promise of the one to come who would fulfill the law and ultimately deal with their sin. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In contrast to what these Old Testament teachers of the law in Jesus' day were saying, a true living relationship with God by faith gives rest. When we come to Jesus, he gives us rest. Rest is not ceasing from activity or, and it is not idleness. Rather, it is a supernatural rest which God offers us. It is a supernatural rest into which we enter. And this rest comes from the presence of God himself in our lives. It's a rest that comes by living the life of God's kingdom. It's a rest that comes by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a rest that is peace and contentment, even amidst the storms, even amidst the trials of life. And it's a rest which comes with knowing and doing the truth of God as revealed by Jesus Christ himself. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. I like the way St. Augustine says it, writing in the 5th century, Christ is the true Sabbath. Christ is our true rest. When we come to Jesus, we experience supernatural rest, and we cease to strive through our own efforts and in the weakness of our own human strength. And the reality is the more that we grow in love for Jesus, the more passionate we grow in our relationship with Christ, the greater our intimacy with him, the greater And the deeper and the more powerful is that supernatural rest that we experience in and through him. Jesus, brothers and sisters, calls us to himself. Second, in verse 29, Jesus calls us to obey his command. And I think that should cause us to ask, if our growing in our love and passion for Jesus and obeying his call to come to him and find rest does not mean ceasing from activity, or entering into a state of of idleness, then what is Christ's command? What does his experience of rest entail for you and me as believers? Well, we find the answer to that in verse 29 of Matthew 11. Reading it again. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We see two things here in verse 29. The first is this. Jesus' first command is that he calls us to take his yoke upon ourselves. 
let's talk a little bit about what a yoke is. We're familiar with a yoke perhaps from agricultural or farming contexts where it is used to harness two oxen or other beasts of burden together. In biblical times, sometimes human beings were also yoked either together or individually. And in the immediate context Jesus is speaking of here, he is probably speaking specifically about a yoke that was being carried by human beings. A yoke was rarely seen being carried by anyone except a very poor person or a slave. And they would lay that yoke upon their shoulders if they were carrying it by themselves to carry buckets or that sort of thing. And sometimes you may have seen pictures in two-thirds world's countries of people even doing this today where they carry two buckets on the end of the yoke. And out at the edge of the yoke will be two small pieces of chain or rope that they stretch their arms out and grasp. And that helps them to balance that yoke and keep it evenly balanced on their neck as they're carrying their burden to their destination. In Jewish culture of the time, to bear someone's yoke was a sign of submission. So for us, for you and me as believers, to take up the yoke of Jesus Christ means fully yielding to his rule and to his absolute authority in our lives. It's a sign of submission. It's about fully submitting to his way and to his will. During the ordination rite for priests in the Anglican Church in North America, as the bishop placed the yoke of the stole upon a priest, these words are recited. Take the yoke of the Lord, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the bishop says those words to signify the yoke of priestly ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. Being passionate for Jesus means loving the rule of Christ in our lives. It means living out by His grace God's priorities and not ours. It means not doing things our way or telling God how He ought to do things or how He ought to work in our lives, but instead yielding to His will, yielding to His rule. And it means being passionate out of love for Christ in continuing to yield more fully to his rule by his grace day by day. To take up Christ's yoke is for you and me as believers, as committed disciples of Jesus Christ, to take up the will of God as the final authority and the direction for our lives. Secondly, in verse 29, Jesus commands us to learn of him. The idea here is not the acquisition of knowledge or the collection of information. It's a different Greek word. The word for gathering knowledge or acquiring information is didasko. We get our word didactic from that. But the word Jesus uses here is manthano, which manthano speaks of specifically learning to do the will of God. To learn of Jesus is to understand or to grasp the will of God and then not just head knowledge, not just the acquisition of information, but then to act upon it in full obedience. Jesus calls us to come to himself, to take up his yoke and then in learning of him to direct the whole of our existence, the whole of our existence to doing his will. 
It's very important that we don't get mixed up with this whole head knowledge versus acting upon knowledge. Because head knowledge is a wonderful thing, but it is of very little benefit if we don't apply it in our lives, if we don't apply the truth of God in our lives and act upon it and live it out. In terms of a biblical understanding of learning of God, learning of God's ways, this always requires a response or an action on our part. And the promise Jesus gives us as we do that, you will find rest for your souls. So where is that supernatural rest that found that Jesus speaks of? It is found in submitting to his will, to the will of our God and the priorities of his kingdom in our lives. Putting the known will of God, which scripture shows us into action. If you want to know the will of God, if you want to act according to the will of God, and there are things that you feel that you need God to reveal to you, act upon what you know is already the revealed will of God. And as we do that by God's grace and the spirit at work within us, God will step by step, day by day, more fully reveal his will to us and order our steps one step at a time, one act of obedience at a time, one loving, passionate, obedient act of Jesus, according to Jesus at a time. The more intimate we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and in our love and passion for him, the more fully and clearly we understand God's will and the more power and grace he gives us to act upon and live out his will. And then third and finally, Jesus calls us to live in his promise. Verse 30. As we walk in obedience to God, notice the prerequisite, walking in obedience to God. Then we experience the reality of his promise. What is that promise? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Such concept, such an idea doesn't make sense from the world's perspective. What yoke is comfortable? What burden is light? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 reminds us that when we know Jesus, his commands are not a burden. His commands are not grievous to us. Rather, because of our love for him, we love to do and we grow ever more in love to do the will of our God. We delight in God's commands. And his yoke is light because as we obey his commands, Jesus himself becomes our burden bearer. He bore the weight of our sin, even to the place of laying down his life for us. And through that, with Christ as our burden bearer, we live in the liberating promises of God. What a trade. It's hard to comprehend that Jesus calls us to a living relationship with him. And more than just bearing our sins and the burden and the punishment for our sins, as if that were not more than enough, he then calls us to abundant life in his kingdom. Intimate fellowship, passionate relationship. And the deeper our love and our passion for God grows, and there's no limit to how deep it can grow, the more we know him, 
the greater our rest, the lighter our burden, the greater the joy we find in knowing and doing God's will, even in difficult and trying circumstances. And the greater the experience of the reality of his kingdom and his reign in our lives. And as that reign and rule of Christ in our lives grows in ever greater measure, so grows our capacity to touch those around us, those in the world around us who don't yet know Christ and are still bearing that burden, the greater our capacity grows to touch them with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, help us to love the yoke of Christ. Or as we, by your grace, come to life in Christ and take up his burden, he, in exchange, takes our burden. And he makes the burden that we bear light. Lord Jesus, you call us to come to you. So, Lord, may we come even this day in fuller measure not out of constraint, but out of love for you, out of love for your kingdom, out of love to do your will, that you may be exalted in our lives. And this we pray in your mighty name. Amen.